You are listening to the Life Point Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Drew Meyer. For more information about other Life Point Church resources, please visit www.livethemessage.org. I want to share a quick message with you this morning. If you have your Bibles, you can open up to Psalm 139, a prominent psalm of David. I want to share a message with you called One of a Kind Worship. Because there is an expression of worship that you can bring to God and you're the only one on the planet that can bring it to to, to this God of the universe. You have a unique expression of worship that only you can bring to God. And I want that to capture your heart this morning, how worship is that which captures our attention, that which has our attention. And I'm praying this morning that once again, God would get your attention in a very intimate, in a very personal way through this Psalm 139. And that you'd hear him calling you to one-of-a-kind worship. Our opportunities to express adoration, awe, wonder, and worship of God, they're they're limitless. They're unending. So every morning you have breath in your lungs, you can wake up with a call upon your life to bring fresh, unique worship to God. And there's not a single person here this morning that's disqualified, discounted from that call. And I wrestled through sharing or wrestled through the uh, need to share this message because I believe in our current day and age, there's already so much of an infatuation with uh, the, the individual. There's, we live in such an individualized age. We already uh, overemphasize uh, how unique each and every one of us are and um, our independent spirit, especially in America. We, we love to talk about how we as individuals have value. And so I don't talk about it in a cultural context. I believe that's already emphasized. The reason I emphasize it is because it's the gospel. God is the God of kingdoms and of nations and of people, but he's also the God that rules and reigns in your heart as an individual. And there's a need upon every single person to make make a personal response to God. There's a personal responsibility. You cannot live your faith vicariously through somebody else, through your family heritage, through your parents, through your friends, through peers, through the people that you sit next to in church. You yourself are called to come to the Father. We talked about that two weeks ago in John chapter four, verse 23, when Jesus told that woman who was an outcast, who felt like she was disqualified, who felt like she had made too many mistakes, she was too messed up. And Jesus looked her in the eyes and said, the hour is coming and is here now when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. And that call is to you personally this morning, and I want you to hear that call through this Psalm 139. There's a unique expression of worship that that you're the only person on the planet that can bring that, that expression of worship to the Lord. That's the gospel. That's the good news of Jesus Christ. There's not one person who's too far from God. If you have breath in your lungs, you can hear his voice this morning and hear him calling you. He's seeking these true worshipers, these ones who would really worship him in spirit and in truth. And that calls upon you every single morning. I feel like sometimes we, we maybe doubt that. And even in our youngest years as children, we have a hard time wrapping our minds around parents' unique love for each one of their kids. You know, my kids come to me and they're like, you know, dad, which, 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 which one of us kids do you love the most? Do you love me more than you love my sister? 
And it's hard to articulate that to a kid, that there's no ranking of love for your kids. It's, there's such a unique love as you discover how God's wired them and their personalities and the unique memories you create with each one of them. I love each one of my four kids so uniquely. And my time with them is so cherished. It's so valued, each one of them uniquely. And so this infinite God stands before humanity and it does not exhaust him to consider the worship of just one of his created ones. It doesn't stretch him. He hasn't reached his capacity, his mental capacity. He's the infinite God and he can give himself fully to your attention for you to give him full worship, full heart of worship, spirit and in truth. So every morning we have just limitless possibilities of worship that we can bring before the Lord. Came across a study from MIT professor of music and technology, Professor Dr. Igozi. This is, what he, this is the point he made about the endless possibilities within music. He said he points out that there are many different types of music across practically every culture throughout the world. So even if no original music was created ever again and composers just rearranged what is already written, it goes, he rationalizes that the number of recreated songs would be, for all practical purposes, insofar as humans can conceive, limitless. So even if we stopped creating songs and we just recomposed, re-kind of reoriented the songs that, and, and music that's already been created, the, the possibilities would be limitless. It's impossible to, uh, to, to come to an end of a creative expression that you can bring before the Lord every single morning. And I'm not so much saying that you have to work really hard to try to come up with something really unique and really out there, really original. I'm saying the expression that you bring is the raw expression of worship to God from yourself is unique in itself because you're the only one that can do that. From your unique perspective, from your unique story, from the way God's worked in your life specifically, you get to offer him a song of worship that no one else can bring. Linguists actually say, that you have the opportunity every single, day, every single day to say a very original, unique sentence in terms of statistic, statistical probabilities. There's a, there's a possibility that you could say a, a, a sentence every single day. You could say a sentence that's never been said before. Does that not blow your mind? It's possible. And so in worship, you have the opportunity every single day to come before him and bring this unique expression of worship to the Lord. So let's look at this Psalm 139. This is a prominent Psalm of David's. And, now, and as we read this, I want you to just picture David. We, we're not 100% sure the context here in terms of season of life or where, where, where he was exactly when he wrote this Psalm, but picture him on the hillside with his sheep in obscurity. He's the eighth born son of Jesse. He wasn't born as the, the firstborn son, the one that his, his dad propped up as his trophy son. Now, he was really the forgotten child. He was the, the son that was more often found in obscurity. He was, that's, that's where he lived his life for the first uh, decade and a half of his life. So picture him on the hillside encountering this personal God. He says, O oh Lord, you have searched me and you've known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search 
out my path and my lying down, and you are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's high. I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you and I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, They are more than the sand. I awake and I am still with you. Oh, that you'd slay the wicked, O God. O men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with a complete hatred. I count them my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. It's the song of David as he encountered this personal God that saw him in obscurity before anybody else saw him. In the truest sense that he saw him even before he was formed in his mother's womb. And I want you to insert yourself into this grand story of creator God. That he saw you He created you. He sees you now, and he's calling you into a lifestyle of worship. He's calling, he's seeking out these worshipers who will worship in spirit and in truth. So there's three truths this morning that I want to draw out of this psalm, Psalm 139, that articulate this idea that there's an expression of worship that only you can bring to God. And first is this, that personal worship flows out of a reality that you're seen by God, that he sees you. You're not just a nameless face. You're not just a uh, one in, in the crowd, the masses. It's hard to wrap our minds around 7.5 billion humans on the planet. We can feel like we are lost in the shuffle. But David, inspired by the Holy Spirit, articulates this reality that you are seen by God, that he sees you. When you sit down, when you rise up, He discerns your thoughts from afar. Even the words that are spoken, before they're spoken, he can take account for them. He sees them. He sees you in ways that you don't even see yourself. He hems you in behind and before he encloses you, encompasses you. He sees every aspect of you. And then there's the the prominent passage in verses 13 through 16 that he formed you in your mother's womb. He saw you in those places, in the unseen places. 
Even your frame is not hidden from him. That place that you were made in secret, he, he intricately wove you to get together in that place. God sees you. You know, we would maybe articulate in theory the reality that God knows all things. He's, he's omniscient. But in practice, in our day-to-day life, we oftentimes live oblivious of that, that reality. The fact that God knows all. He sees all. And yet, he would still send his son. He would still send his Holy Spirit to live in us. As we place our faith in his, in his son, his perfect work, Holy Spirit lives in us and creates this opportunity to worship him in spirit and in truth. That is the omniscient God of the universe that sees all and knows all, and he sees you. It's fascinating. Right now in our church, we have a lot of babies being born. The first of many was just born last weekend. Little baby Winston Klobnik was born last weekend, if you hadn't heard. But many, many others are going to be born. And I remember the first time we got pregnant with our, with our son, Bryce. And I was just nerding out and reading all the books on, on the biology of it all because it's, it's so fascinating. You know, just in the miracle of a baby being born, it points us towards this designer and this creator God. The fact that they, they know at the 18th day the heart's going to start to beat. I mean, that's genetically just wired into the DNA of who we are. That, that information is there. Creator God's stamp is on your life. They know when the fingernails will be formed. They know when the lungs will be fully formed. All the intricate parts of how you're woven together. It's fascinating. And God sees you. He saw you even before that. And he called you to something great. It's a lifestyle of worship. To get lost in that place of worship. You have so many other things that try to um, place value upon our lives in this world. Our position, the things that, that, we, um, that this world kind of tries to place value upon us. But if we, we can just get lost in this place of complete worship, lifestyle worship, worshiping in spirit and in truth. Second is this, personal worship flows from a knowledge of his presence. You cannot escape the presence of Jesus. And David says that in verse 7, where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? It's impossible. This is the omnipresent God. He's omniscient, all-knowing, but he's also omnipresent. He's everywhere at the same time. So when we talk about, and at our church, we talk a lot about knowing the presence of God, recognizing the presence of God. We're specifically talking about living with an awareness of his presence. Because we can say up in our intellectual mind, in terms of theology or ideology, that God is omnipresent. But oftentimes, our lifestyle does not reflect that truth. And so worshiping from a knowledge of his presence is living with this, this uh, burning reality or awareness or consciousness of his reality in that moment, of his presence in that moment, that he is here with us. And that oftentimes just brings me to my knees because how often do I, come in my, do I come and go in my life and I live oblivious to the reality of God? But if he's here, what does that mean? We cannot escape the presence of Jesus. And I pray for you, more and more, day after day, you grow in this awareness of his presence in your kitchen, in your living room, in your bedroom, in your, in your workplace, in your car, 
He's there. Do we acknowledge it? Every time it ushers us, ushers us into an, an opportunity for worship. So let's close our eyes right now. I just want to do a quick mental exercise. Close your eyes. I'm not going to do anything to you, so you can trust me. Just close your eyes. Bring yourself to the, the happiest. I don't know what that, that, uh, that moment is, but imagine the happiest moment in your life. Maybe it was the moment you got married, the, the birth of a child, a big break at, at, at your job or whatever it is. Just imagine that moment. Imagine the location, the places, the smells, the sights. Now imagine Jesus physically in that place, in that location. That's reality. Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 17 actually says that God is the God in our midst and he rejoices over us in gladness. Do you see Jesus in that place? Now, keep your eyes closed. Imagine one of the saddest moments of your life. Maybe you lost a loved one. Maybe you heard of your parents' divorce. Maybe you got laid off from your job. Maybe you went bankrupt. I don't know what it is. Now imagine Jesus in that place. Imagine him right next to you. Imagine his arm around you. Like in the story of his friend Lazarus dying, imagine him weeping with you. You can open your eyes. That's reality. And Jesus told us adamantly, hey, it's better that I leave and I send the Holy Spirit. I'm not gonna leave you as an orphan to give us this promise of his presence. And I've preached entire messages on that reality because I, I want us as a people who have Holy Spirit living in us, sons and daughters in a kingdom to live with a greater and greater awareness, greater and greater consciousness of that, that greater reality over our lives. It's the presence of God. It's the greater reality. We oftentimes don't live that way. You know, in the book of Proverbs, it says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is a, a conscious awareness of his reality. That's what the fear of the Lord is. And so when we're conscious of his reality, we make better decisions. We make very foolish decisions when we place ourselves on the throne of our own lives, when we call the shots, when we think, when we fool ourselves into thinking we're the ones in control. So the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom. A, a conscious awareness of his presence in a moment leads us into wisdom every single time. And so we do need to renew our minds with that reality, with that truth, day after day. Just this week, my, my wife told me this, um, this fact about the way our minds work, about how our, our minds are, are um, trained to think about things in a way that's, that's not even really true or ever possible for it to ever happen. She, she used the analogy of sitting in front of a, uh, like a, a backstop at a baseball game. And if the baseball comes shooting off the, base, uh, the bat towards the fence, everyone shoots back or blinks, does some sort of reaction because our brains are trained to protect ourselves. Although there's a barricade obviously there, there's no way on earth that we could ever get hit, but yet our brains, in that moment, we think we're gonna get hit. So oftentimes our, our minds convince us of an alternate reality from the greater reality and this alternate reality that God's not here, that he's not present, that he's uncaring, that he doesn't see what's happening right now. When the greater reality is, we need to train our minds to be, to be consciously aware of this reality, that he is here. He's here. He's present. He's present in your life. 
And it's in that place, a knowledge of his presence, that personal worship flows. And you can worship him. It doesn't have to be the right atmosphere, the right song. You don't have to have Paige falling around playing on the keys all day long. You can just come into that place of worship because you're aware of his presence in that moment. And thirdly is this, and I'm closing. It's personal, personal worship flows from the heart of God. You know, David takes a really passionate turn there towards the end of this psalm. There's this righteous indignation that flows from his heart for the things of God. And can I tell you, in, it's okay for God to evoke emotion from our hearts. I'm not, I'm not proposing emotionalism. Emotionalism is being driven from the, the, the seat of emotion. But I'm saying as you encounter the Lord, as you become aware of the things that are on his heart, our hearts do begin to be moved with emotion. And that's why I do feel like we should, in the place of worship, have some sort of, uh, there should, it should elicit uh, emotion. It should. That should be the proper response in the place of worship, of personal worship. That God stirs up our hearts for the things that his heart are moved by. Righteousness, justice, that's what those, are the, those are the major themes that David highlights here in Psalm 139. That our hearts burn for God's justice in situations and on the earth. For redemption, that our hearts break, they're moved. So emotions aren't bad. God seems to even, he's a being that, that, um, that moves with a certain level of emotion. I'm not trying to bring him down to our level, but I'm saying he seems to, to communicate certain emotions. And so in the place of worship, as we're captivated by his awe, by his majesty, by his wonder, we can allow our hearts to be moved by the things that move God's heart. So let's end where we started. Imagine David on the hillside. That's you. It's you in obscurity. It's you without titles, without um, all the things that this world tries to tack on you as titles and um, positions of value. You're just a nobody on a hillside in obscurity from the world's standpoint, discounted and disqualified. But it's in that place, you can get lost in the place of personal worship. Just in awe and wonder of God, of adoration, and nothing else matters. Literally nothing else matters. Just seeing Jesus for who he is. When I was 13, I picked up a guitar for the first time. My mom was a musician and my mom passed away a few years prior to this. And I pulled out her old 12 string, 12 string guitar. I started to learn worship. I pulled out her own old songbook. She wrote many of the songs in this book and she also had old uh, hymns and, and worship songs. She got saved in the late 70s as well during that renewal. I mean, just a phenomenal move of God. I remember pulling out the guitar and learning how to play guitar, honestly, with no intention of ever playing it in public other than just personal worship to God. And it was years before I ever played guitar in public. And honestly, I did not care because that was not why I started. And still to this day, there were so many songs that I wrote in that season. I'm not saying I would ever want anyone to hear them, but there were songs that I wrote in that season that were songs of worship to the Lord and no other ear will ever hear and it does not matter because they were just songs of adoration and worship to Jesus. Yeah, that's beautiful. 
And that, that can be the case for every single person here this morning. There is an expression of worship personally through your own personalities, strengths, passions, giftings that you can bring to the Lord. And I think music is a huge way in which we express that worship to the Lord. And even if you're not musically inclined, you can still lift up a voice of worship to the Lord. You can sing a song. To him, it's beautiful. It doesn't need to be beautiful to anybody else because they won't hear it. Just lift up that voice of worship to the Lord. I want us to respond to the Lord this morning. Everyone to bow their heads, close their eyes in this place. There are some in this place that just in a fresh way want to say yes to personal worship. Your hearts have been stirred to worship in a personal, intimate way tomorrow morning, Monday morning. No inhibitions, no holding back. Just raw, genuine, personal worship. And this morning you'd say, yeah, Drew, I, I want to say yes to that. I want to say yes to personal worship. And tomorrow morning or even this afternoon, I'm going to just take time to express unique worship to the Lord that only I can bring to him. If that's you this morning, would you just raise your hand? I want us to make a commitment to the Lord all across this place. Awesome, yes. Lord, this morning, we make this declaration to you. that You've created us, that you formed us, you breathe life into us. You stamped your image upon us. And it's in that place for our creator that we desire to bring a unique expression of worship that only we can bring. We're not gonna sit idly by anymore waiting for the next Sunday to roll around or waiting for somebody else to, to make a noise for us, to stir us to worship. But no, we're gonna take it upon ourselves to come before our creator God and worship wholeheartedly spirit and in truth. No more excuses. No more reasons of why we are disqualified or discounted. You're calling us to be worshipers in spirit and in truth. And we respond to that wholeheartedly this morning. Secondly, in, in worship, I just felt compelled to give an opportunity for this response. And it's for those in this place that need a touch of God upon their bodies for physical healing. I never want to lose out on an opportunity for just God to move in someone's life. And so if you're here this morning and you need a miracle in your life, you need a, a touch of God upon your body. This summer, our leadership team, you can all look at me, sorry. Sorry, for not giving good instructions. You can look at me. Um, this summer, we've been, as a leadership team, we've been gathering our trustees, elders, and staff, simply gathering around this biblical truth that it's God's will to heal. We see that adamantly through, through the Gospels and then through the rest of the New Testament reiterated. And it's just, it's just completely shifted the way I now have been, been reading scripture. As I've been waking, making my way through the book of Acts, it's like time and time again, I see them proclaiming the resurrected Christ as, as Christ that heals. I came to the story in Acts chapter nine where Peter goes into Aeneas' house and Aeneas has been bedridden for eight, eight years. And Peter didn't look at him, oh, sorry, Jesus, he was already here a few years back. He, he did this awesome ministry of healing. And now the church, 
maybe we'll build a hospital for you so you can die, you know, kind of a nice, uh, respectable death. No, he said, Jesus Christ heals you. That's literally what Peter said to Aeneas. He said, Jesus Christ heals you because Jesus is resurrected. Holy Spirit is on the earth working through the church. And the church is supposed to be the, the hands and feet, the embodiment of God on the earth. And so I, I just want to give opportunity for ministry this morning. If there's anybody in this place that needs healing, I know my wife, we're traveling this week. She needs healing in her knee. Is there anybody else that needs healing? Just raise your hand. Awesome. I can't respond in faith. So awesome, awesome, awesome. Okay. Yes. Jesus Christ heal you this morning. Let's just pray right now for these individuals. Jesus Christ heal you. The resurrected Christ, the exalted Christ that's still alive today. He's not passing you by. Instead, he's saying healing upon you right now in the name of Jesus. That knees would be made right. That migraines would be gone. That cancer would be gone. Be made right. Be made whole in the name of Jesus. Jesus Christ heals you. Shoulder pain, be gone. Back pain, be gone. Jesus Christ heals you. It's the resurrected Christ. He's alive. He's well. He's still on the throne. He's still Christ the healer. Amen. Let's stand to our feet. We hope you enjoyed this week's sermon. For more information about LifePoint Church, please visit www.livethemessage.org.